The Live Exchange Conference is your chance to find out what's happening in the livestock export industry with a program that features thought-provoking and informative speakers. Open to all members of the supply chain, you can network with around 400 delegates from across the country, with several social events and a variety of trade exhibits. Live Exchange is being held on the 9th and 10th of November 2022. Visit liveexchange.com.au to get your tickets. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. Golden guitar winning Tom Curtin and his incredible wife and business partner Annabelle were our guests on the very first episode of this podcast way back in June 2019. Way back when I had never recorded a podcast and didn't know what sound quality was. So last night, I sat down with Tom and Annabelle for take two. And it actually was last night that we recorded this because I am currently recording this introduction at 12.26am Northern Territory time. Dedication. I know. (laughs) Just kidding. Anyway, My plan was to re-record our first episode in better sound quality, and that's it. But plans changed. So, in this episode, you'll hear some condensed versions of stories that were covered in episode one, including Tom's childhood, how Tom and Annabelle met, and the Catherine Outback Experience origin story. There's also a few new stories from those times, and then we catch up on what's been happening since Tom and Annabelle have last appeared on the show including the birth of two children, a number of national tours, and the new album, which is released in a couple of weeks. And let's not forget COVID. Sometimes you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only do that while looking back. And looking back on this episode and the experiences that Tom and Annabelle have had, it's clear that these two have given everything in their path a good crack. And when times have been tough, their resilience and sense of adventure shines through. Tom and Annabelle, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So it was just over three years ago that we sat in this house and recorded the very first episode of the Central Station podcast. Um, times have changed a little bit. Just a little bit. There's a, a few more of us now. And, um, yeah, we've been through some uh, pretty wild times here. Some things never change, though. We're still recording at night time because that's the only time that you guys have got to do anything. 
You guys are sacrificing sleep for our listeners, but the setup's a little bit better now. Hopefully people hear us. Yeah, it's very impressive, I must say. I'm, I'm eyeing it off. I think we might have to invest in one, Tom. It is good. We just have to have time to use it, I suppose. Yeah, um, I have heard whisper. Well, I, I feel like years ago you mentioned the Tom Curtin podcast and I've been waiting for it to come out, but. If only I had some time. Hey, Tom. That's right. We were thinking about that, weren't we? Yeah. We do meet a lot of great, interesting people on the road and we did have an idea of travelling around and recording these guys. And a lot of the times we try to video record them in stories because I just think it's amazing to hear all these stories and people, more people should be hearing them and that's how the idea came about. But, yeah, we've got to really try to um, – just not sure if we've got enough time to do all that stuff, have we? Maybe I should just hide in the horse truck when you go on tour next and I'll just come along with you and do it. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time, would it, Steph? Actually, no. Since the last podcast, I have come on tour with you. Oh, kind of call it coming on tour. Somewhere oh. in there you came on tour. I went to like three shows. I helped out. You did, down oh, in really? Southern WA. Oh, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he has so many people on tour, he doesn't even remember me. <laughs> out. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm sure I remember. He's vaguely. just too famous now. He's just gotten too famous, no, too big. No, doesn't no, remember no. us, little fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, the um the the first episode we recorded on this podcast is our most listened to by far. I think it's up to something. It's over thirty thousand downloads, like possibly closer to forty now. It's been a while since I've checked. We have hit a million downloads since I last saw you guys. Um, well done! Congratulations! Yeah, Thank good you, work, mate. And I cannot listen to our foot to that episode we recorded not for anything you guys have done but i know you remember we sat at your kitchen table and we had this one little microphone in between all three of us i was not wearing earphones i didn't know what it sounded like until i got home and listened on the computer and by then i was back in broom 2000 k's away and there was no chance to re-record so i thought we'd take the opportunity now with the flash gear to cover off on episode one again some of that story and then incorporate a bit of an update so why don't we just jump into it? Because you poor people need some sleep at some stage. <laughs> we have children. We don't sleep. There's <laughs> yeah. no such thing. Cool. All right. We'll go all night then. Tom, so I think we started the last episode with a bit of your story. Yeah. So I sort of basically grew up around Kingaroy, um, between Kingaroy and Dolby on on my dad's farm there. Uh, I've got four other brothers and grew up, yeah, on a peanut farm and beef cattle. Uh, I had a fair few Angus uh, cattle growing up and um, had a swag of horses. They weren't really well bred. They were pretty touchy and flighty. But, um, yeah, we sort of was always mucking around with them outside and um, and a few dogs. Um, yeah, we had a lot of fun, really, training training a few dogs. We had no idea. But um, thankfully down the track we hung out with a few fellas and, and around the school age or high school, and they sort of taught us a few basics. But I'd always wanted to get up to the Northern Territory. I'd seen it on TV and the wide open spaces, so I'd always wanted to get up here. And, you know, mum and dad always said, no, no, you've got to go to school or boarding school and get a trade before you go. So I was sort of locked into that contract for a while, and I did try a few swift manoeuvres to try to get out of it. But Did you um, just call school a contract? Well, this kind of a bit of a contract, isn't it? <laughs> that uh, you got to see through. So, anyway, I did all that. I went to boarding school in Brisbane. Um, somehow managed to win a music scholarship to get there. Um, my older brother won an academic one, and mum and dad didn't have much money, so he got in that way. 
the pressure was on me then to succeed in this academic field. But, um, yeah, I sort of didn't quite have it all going that day when the test came out. So, yeah, so sort of failed miserably. But I did the music um, test and somehow managed to pass that. So they gave me a scholarship there to Marsh Brothers Ashgrove and we did a lot of piano lessons at that stage and had to play the trumpet and trombone and things. But after that, I still wanted to head north. Mum and Dad said, no, no, you've got to go to um, uni or trade. So I went to Gatton College, did a three-year degree in beef cattle, genetics, nutrition. Um, I did love it, love uni life. We lived at uh, Forest Hill just outside of Gatton or outside of the campus as well. So we had a lot of mates uh, there growing up and uh, played a lot of footy and things, and it was awesome. But, um, yeah, on weekends we had to pick a lot of watermelons or tomatoes, uh, a lot of chemicals, and I got a lot of headaches because I had to earn money to pay rent and things like that. So it's full on, and I did a fair bit of contract horse breaking just um, on school holidays or uni holidays at home, and that helped a bit, and um, covering costs and trying to buy a car and things but eventually yeah headed up to mount sanford station which is about 900k i'd say south of darwin uh, with paul and jane stone were managing and we had a lot of characters again on the station and went straight into the stock camp mustering cattle and yeah we were um in a swag most nights and i began to write a lot of songs on the back of a horse each day and these songs would come into my head an old bloke gave me an old guitar he wasn't that old at the time. It was Martin Oakes, actually, um, but he was older than me, so we'll pay him out there. But he's a great bloke, and he helped me, gave me an old guitar, showed me three chords. Every lunchtime I'd go practice for an hour or so, um, and then I got moved into the station with him, uh, breaking in horses for a while, and he was instrumental in helping me get going and um, helping to write the first couple of songs, Smack Bang and the Windmill Song, um, which was amazing. So, yeah, he really gave me a kick along there and got me on the right track. And, yeah, I did a lot of uh, – I was there for a few years and then went out contract horse breaking uh, for about 10 years full on and in between somehow managed to win a singing contest up in Darwin. Uh, I think I was the only one in it, to be honest, but um, got down to Tamworth, met this fellow called Garth Porter out of that band Sherbet back in the 70s. And, yeah, he just really helped me get along. We wrote a lot of songs together. We've written, I think we just finished the fifth album. Um, I'm still with Garth, so it's just amazing to combine the music, uh, you know, with the horses. We, After a while, got moved in, and one of my brothers, got four other brothers, so one of them lives next door to me here in Catherine. And at the time, I asked if I'd give him a few lemonades for rent, and he could actually... I could set up portable yards on his place and try to get all the cattle stations to send the horses in to get trained in the middle of his mangoes. He had a little bit of a room there. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was pretty hot, pretty touch and go. And then we'd get up pretty early in the mornings, um, you know, 3, 3.30, have the generator going. And there's an old fella next door that lived next to Pat. And he came over one morning about 7.00. And I thought he was going to rip into me about the noise for a generator. But he said, mate, why don't you buy my place? Um, because, you know, I'm about to sell it and it'd be all set up. It's nothing on the block, bare block. You could set it up how you wanted. And I said, look, I'd love to, mate, but um, 
I just don't have any money. He said, look, well, I can see you're a hard worker. What if I give you vendor's terms and um, have a crack at this place? And I couldn't believe it. So I said, right, I'll go to the bank. And so, yeah, he was amazing. And, um, you know, he was a an ex-local copper from up here, Bob Bruce, and um, he's since re- we bought his place. He moved on and tremendous bloke. And, yeah, he gave me a start here and we started training out of here. It's going really well till that. 2011 life beef export ban hit and all the budgets were cut on the cattle stations and so I had no horses I used to do about 150 horses a year and uh got sent in here and overnight all the budgets were cut so had to rethink stuff so I went singing at the caravan park four nights a week in town and those people said hey can we come and see what you're doing each day training horses and dogs so we started off um I still train and trying to train a couple here and there horses. Uh, we started this outback show, yeah, probably about nine years ago, I think, underneath a tree out the back here. Uh, no one turned up to the first show, which felt pretty good. And then, um, oh gosh, yeah, I was honestly doing about three shows a week, but only one or two people would come, often no one. And yeah, my mates would drive around and rub it in and pay me out and say, listen, what are you doing? You got rocks in your head. No one's going to turn up here, but, um, yeah, I think I just threw my heart and soul into doing a show for those one or two people because I thought they would go away um, either bagging me out or speaking positively. And, um, yeah, it just started to grow from there. So so it's been almost 10 years? Yeah, that's pretty scary. How time flies and you can't half tell that you've told that story a few times before. Yeah, a few times here and there. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> when are we going to get the Tom Curtin book? Doesn't that happen when you die? No, there's people that put out memoirs now when they're like 24. So yeah, true. Right. Prince Harry's about to, isn't he? Oh, really? See, it's just your first book, chapter one. And I feel like you've told the story so many times, you'd be able to write it pretty easy. It could be a little wet season project. Write it while you're on tour. On tour. Just add another thing go. in. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever floated the idea of a book to you, but I... I think this could be one, guys. There's so, so much. Can you stop now, please? <laughs> <laughs> we have t- far too much going on for that. <laughs> There's so much. Um, I guess, yeah, if people want, I guess, the, the less condensed version, they can go back to episode one. But there was just so much going on in a relatively short period of time for you then. So I guess for people who haven't heard episode one, so you kind of had your parents made you go to school. Well, obviously, that's legally you're supposed to. And then to uni. Um, and so as soon as you finished uni, you decided to head out on a cattle station instead of going and getting a job that probably more so required that degree. And how did you balance? Were you, were you still interested? You'd been at school on a music scholarship. Were you still interested in music at that stage? Or was it once you got to uni, you just kind of had your sights set on coming up north? And it was all about yeah, chaos. Yeah, I think I just had my... I saw at uni, I didn't do much music at all. I, uh, I'd never written a song at all until I got to the Northern Territory in the stock camp. First song was Smack Bang because I just felt I was in the middle of the territory, Smack Bang in the middle. So I began to write that on the back of a horse. But I think, um, while I was at uni, um, Hatesbury Beef came to the uni and gave a talk about uh, Mount Sanford Station and their, and that, I think they had like 400 horses at the time. And they had a lot to break in and they were divvied up amongst all the other cattle stations that Hatesbury owned. And that really caught my eye because um, I always wanted to be a bit of a horse trainer. And 
mum and dad always said, look, there's no money in horses. Just get out of that, get your head right and, <laughs> you know, get your degree. And so, yeah, I suppose I remember Paul saying, Paul Stone saying, you know, after the first year, would you be interested in coming in and um, training horses next year with Martin and things like that? So it all sort of went from there. But um, So after one year of working on the station, they invited you back just to work on the horses. Yeah. So you're obviously half handy. Where did all that – I mean, that sounds really sassy saying it now because I know you're very handy, but as a young fella, um, where did you pick up those skills along the way? No, well, honestly, I'm not, honestly, I'm not that handy, but – there's some tremendous horse people and men and women out here and it's um, mind-blowing how they're going these days. But um, He's very humble. No, honestly, <laughs> that's how I feel. And um, like I do love I do love training horses and I do love um, getting up because we're sort of tied here a lot. Uh, a lot of the time I'm up early and I YouTube a lot of stuff on videos and so I might be having a coffee at – 3.34 in the morning for like an hour. I might have a couple of coffees because I love it, but I love trying to keep learning. So as a kid, I think I was about 10-year-old, I went on my school holidays to Hurley Toomey's place at Kingaroy, about half an hour down the road um, for three weeks. I took my own horse who was pretty wild and, yeah, I just sort of I took a book and I wrote down everything that Mr. Toomey said and... um you know, he was very old school. He'd uh, bag the horse down and pull it around. He'd have spider hobbles on all feet and things like that. But um, that's the way they did it back then, you know. So I sort of started to learn all this, um, you know, thing, his method. And, um, you know, but he was amazing. I can't remember the first episode. I don't want to go over stuff, but he was absolutely amazing. Like he was about 85 and he had, you know, he'd, just whistle and this horse would just come running out of a paddock up to him and he had this yellow dog in this old chook pen and he had tin all the way around the chook pen, right? So you couldn't see in and I was always, you know, leaving Smoko early and trying to peep through a little hole in the tin to have a look at the dog and he caught me a few times and said, Oi, mate, don't go near the dog. And uh, eventually I always pestered him, What's it? Show, can you show me something this dog does? And then um, right at the end, said, okay, Tom, I'll show you this dog. And um, he had six head of cattle down the paddock and three of them had ear tags and he said three don't. So what I'll do is I'll send this dog down there and he'll bring the ones back with the ear tags and he'll leave the ones with the no ear tags in the paddock. And I said, okay. So off we did. And this dog went down the paddock about 800 metres in a bit of scrub country, brought three heifers back with ear tags. He said to the dog before he sent it, here you go, mate, I want you to go down the back, get the one with the ear tags, and he grabbed hold of his ear, of his own ear, and started wriggling the earlobe and said, ear tags. Dog went down and brought three back with ear tags. And then I said, yeah, but how do I know the other three? They've probably got ear tags as well, mate. And he said, no, okay. So he let those cattle go. They ran back down there, waited about 10 minutes, and he said to the dog, hey, mate, I want you to go down there and get the ones with no ear tags. And he folded his arms like a cross in front of his chest and said, no ear tags. And so the dog went down there and I could see it. We sat on the top rail and I was sifting through the cattle and um, brought these three back and had no ear tags in their ears. And I said, mate, how the heck 
did you do that? And he said, mate, if you hang around long enough with horses and dogs, you'll work it out. I've been hanging around with him for a long time and I can't do that. <laughs> there was a lot of stories like that. Wow. That he just showed me on, you know, every second day. I was little things and I just, you know, it was just amazing to see how his mind worked, how his training worked and the people he hung out with. It was just phenomenal. So that inspired me a lot. And then I also hung out um, another bloke down the road called Gary Barber. He um, was right into building goosenecks and horse trailers. He was real bushman. He could do a lot of stuff, fencing and very, very handy bloke. And then we're also sort of a stone's throw from Rick and Alice Greenup. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and they were great people. And, and so Rick showed me a lot with working dogs and also leather work on a Sunday. I'd shoot over there and he'd show me stuff like that. And, and we went with, um, a few other people in the area mustering cattle and I was helping out a lot when I was home on holidays. So they sort of inspired me a lot. And also, you know, mum and dad, they were instrumental. Like dad wasn't a horse trainer, but he still knew the basics of horses and, you know, we'd wash horses and every second Sunday, um, you know, there'd be dad and five boys, single file, trotting into 12K into camp draft, sorry, into the pony club because we didn't have a horse truck ride all day, then trot home again. And, um, you know, he was unreal at doing that. He could have just said, oh, no, it's too far. We're not doing that. But it was just amazing. We did a lot of riding, a lot of mustering. And, um, yeah, and there's a lot of tough horses too that we're trying to, you know, work out and get the best of. And so I think there's still hunger in me to try to, you know, now with the show, with the liberty and the horse you know, we say horse starting these days under saddle and it's more working the mind of the horse over than physically trying to use brute strength. But it's the same with the, a pack of dogs as well. So uh, the alpha leader and there's a lot of, you know, constant research I'm doing to try to better my skills and, and deliver a better product and train our staff of what we're after, you know, as the end product. So it's like... Animals and music is always kind of coexisting in your life. Like you, as a kid, you kind of started with the horses and dogs, then you got that music scholarship, but then you go to uni and that's probably stunning livestock again, not much going on musically then, but then you come out to horses and then music pops up again. Like it's always kind of playing tag, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I suppose it's always there. Like whenever I'm riding a horse down the road, I'm always, you know, for some reason I'm, singing a song or humming a tune and, yeah, and like even making the albums and things like that, it's not really to say, hey, look at me, you know. It's more that when I was in the stock camp, I'd be singing or writing the songs, there wasn't much going on, you know. We're working our guts out every day, come around at night, there was no phone or uh, TV. So these fellas, hey, Tom, what song did you write today? And so then it really put a bit of pressure on me to start writing and now, and even today, like I write a song and I go, okay, now will this song connect to those fellas around the campfire that night or would this just be too wishy-washy and they wouldn't really understand and connect with it? And so it always takes me back to that and, you know, I think, yeah, the horses, horses' hooves are the drum beats or every horse you get on usually in the canter has a different feel depending on how the confirmation is. They've got a long neck and a short back. They're pretty smooth. If they've got a short neck and a bit of a long back, they're 
they take smaller strides and their the beats more of a swing feel, you know. So um, there's a few songs in there on my early albums that, you know, um, yeah, a bit of a swing feel. And it came from riding a bit of a rough horse on a day that, um, you know, that created a melody which then created the song. So, yeah, I think these days we do a lot of shows. I still love it. Um, and even to recharge myself, you'd find me down there training dogs or horses, you know, just by myself. And I find that, you know, that's my way of um, recharging my batteries. So were you out on stations for a few years breaking in horses before you came back into town to set up and do the same thing? Yeah, so I went, I think I started about 2003 uh, when I went out initially and, yeah, went to Newcastle Waters. We travelled all over. So there was um, Newcastle Waters and then out to Ian Rush, out on the Barclay there, uh, Anthony Lagoon Station. We did a lot down to Bunda, um, Riverin and uh, Inverway. We came back up to Canfield, Monogini, fair bit at um, – we still did a fair bit of uh, VRD, uh, Mullaloo, all around the traps. And then – and they had a lot of horses all year, so I was just going, you know, often I'd – Sometimes still I bought a place down at Kingaroy and then I'd come up for two weeks to a mob of horses and then um, fly back uh, and just try to build that up a bit. And other times I was up here for six weeks at a time and fly back for two weeks. So, yeah, it's um, I sort of, yeah, something in my system got caught up here in the territory and the way of life and horses and, and very lucky too to, um, you know, we're still living to be honest because at the time – it was really just cutting my teeth into the horses. I've done a few, um, a couple of weekend horse schools and they're more about training, like rollbacks and things, but I hadn't really done too much with, you know, rank because when I started I was doing six, seven-year-old um, horses pretty much untouched, you know, and they would chase you out of the yard. So you had to think um, <laughs> everything in your power. I remember I was on one cattle station and I had to, because I was just starting out, see, I had to, um, the good horse breakers were getting the younger horses and the ones that people didn't want were the ones I had to do. So <laughs> I remember I was on a horse and it, I was hitting him with a whip to get him to go. I was 60K from the homestead and, yeah, he just would not travel out. And then I was just trying to work out what the heck was going to happen here. How could I persuade this horse to take a step, one step forward? And then a dingo came along and came just trotting along the track and then I sat really still and to see how close this dingo would get. And it came right up to the horse and the horse just put his head down and started following the dingo. And so I thought, well, if I move, it'll put my attention back onto me and it'll stop. So I just sat there and then the horse started just trotting after this dingo. Then after a while, we started just loping along out in the middle of nowhere, but it just freed that horse up and then it taught me a lesson about you know you can't physically get this horse to go but next time why don't you put another horse in the yard you know that this horse may follow to get going and things like that so it's it was a lot of trial and error a lot of luck out there as well um you know have been thrown off into trees and fences and flipped over on and you know it's a lot of stories but i'm still just very grateful that I got the opportunity to do all that 
you know, and um, be still smiling here today. Was it always the plan when you left uni to be breaking horses full time? Like I know you've went out in a stock camp first to work with cattle, but then you kind of got the opportunity. For, but was that always kind of the end goal, just to be a horse trainer? Well, I was, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I sort of really wanted to be a horse trainer and I was always training horses. They gave us four horses in the stock camp. They'd rotate through um, and then grab another four, second round. So I was always training them, you know. We did a few camp drafts and things with the station, which was awesome. Um, yeah, but I was always interested in in horses and uh how they worked and how to get a better turn or a stop or a spin or to to chase a cow. And yeah, I've been always pretty accused of being pretty observant. So I'm always looking even at a camp drafts, I'm analyzing people's feet and hands and how they get that horse to do this or that or um, I just love it, and I suppose it's because I've always been basically by myself. And even when you know working with young horses, and you've got to be really tuned into their their ears and the colour in their eye and any wrinkles above the nostril and how they're carrying their head and their tail, because they're all giving you signs of how much pressure you can put on each horse and their personality and get away with it. And, uh, and I'm still learning, and it's only because I've been absolutely smashed by them. But I've got an utmost respect. And so it's, um, yeah, in the show these days, we're here in Catherine, we use different horses at different levels for a 20 minute segment, 25 minute segment, starting young horses under saddle. And, um, you know, we're explaining, okay, this horse it feels like it's going to do this or that. And you can read the body posture of the people in the crowd as well. You get some horsey people will come you know, with arms folded and, and I can read the body posture from where I'm standing in the arena. But then they're always at the end. They can see, look, it's we're not just using the same old donkey every day. We're using horses that can really kick and bite and, you know, buck the saddle and buck. I've been bucked off heaps of times in the show. So I love it representing the raw version of, um, you know, what's really out there. You mentioned just before that the first, just because you've just brought up COVID, I know that's kind of, I guess, the second major hiccup in the in the story so far, but the first one was the live export ban. So can you just give our listeners a rundown about what, I guess, how that affected you back then? And then we're going to get into my favourite part of the story, which is how you went out of Belmet. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, at that stage, or just before that, so I ended up buying – Bobby Barissa's house is here and 20 acres, about 5, 6K out of Catherine. And we're training a lot of horses here, <clears throat> just in portable panels, down the back, bit of sand arena. That's all we could afford. And, um, yeah, and it was going pretty well. Like we had a lot of horses backed up, ready to, to break in and get going. And then overnight the budgets were all cut. And I remember still getting the phone call from um, Newcastle Waters saying, you know, sorry, mate, those – other 80 horses, we can't do that now. So it's pretty mind-blowing. I went a bit numb, to be honest, but I'm same thing. I'm going, man, so we got that. we got these mortgage repayments. How are we going to um, get cracking, you know? And, um, yeah, so I then had to just try to, you know, focus a little bit about um, local horse people, uh, possibly that didn't rely so much on live trade or anything like that that I could possibly get a couple of horses in to train. 
Uh, and then I said, well, let's just, I went around to the caravan parks and said, hey, any chance I could sing here? And, um, yeah, the big four caravan park at the time there, they were amazing. So I had a bistro and I'd just go in there three or four nights a week and um, sing and three hours. And, and that was really good, you know, because I was still pretty timid. I am still pretty timid, I reckon. But um, it was really good practice, you know, because I didn't really have time during the day to practice. I'd practice at the caravan park about my strumming, singing, tapping my foot in time. Um, you know, I bought a little stomp box which sounded like a drum. And so I'd have it there, but I didn't turn it on because I'd be all out of whack. So I'd just tap my foot and then, um, you know, I'd be mainly practicing and delivering. I remember um, John Williamson told me, the singer, he said, Tom, the biggest thing, you've got to have good songs, but the other big thing you've got to do is the banter in between songs. You know, you've got to keep the crowd there and you can't t- talk too long, but you've also got to be interesting. And so that's, I said, right, so I just started talking about what I do, horses, the dogs, um, how the song came about, and then people in the crowd would come up in between sets and, hey, where do you live? What do you do, mate? And they became interested and then they said, oh, can we come out and have a look? So a lot of people would come out and have a look during the day um, and I'd be just showing them around, this is what I do, can we have a look at this? And then it's sort of they sort of said, oh, mate, you should actually charge people, come out, just give a demo. And so, yeah, it began sort of like that. And so, yeah, we sort of rolled with it for a while. And um, But it was still tough going. Like I put a lot of pressure on my first marriage, I was married back then, um, two kids, the live beef export ban hit and then uh, put a lot of pressure on my marriage and, um, yeah, we ended up splitting up and they all moved down to Perth and I was here and stayed here. And, again, that was, um, you know, very daunting, you know, because in these days a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, fathers i suppose that have just split up or um often message me or contact me and um man i'd be speaking to a couple a week i reckon really yeah and um they know sort of the backstory mainly from probably your podcast or a few other things because i don't really talk about it too often and um a lot of people that are split up with their kids away and you know um i was Oh man, I could probably just move down to Perth and drive a truck or work in Woolies. I wouldn't care as long as I could see my kids. And um, and I got really thinking about it, you know, just get rid of this place, go down to sort of close to my kids and things like that. And and then I don't know, this gut feeling in me was just saying, you got to make sure that when your kids see you, that you're still happy and you're still full of life, you know. And I just thought if I was down there that, um, you know, it wouldn't be 100% Tom. It would be I can do it because I'm doing it and it would be a big sacrifice and I could do it, no worries. But I reckon the kids could see through it. And I thought, man, what if I just stay here? I love training horses. I love, you know, being in the top end. I love writing music. And... What if when they came back up, they could see what I was doing, they could see I'd tell them my dream, and I did. I told them that this is what I want to do. I want to start this Outback show. 
And um, I remember telling them that um, I think Charlie was three, Matilda was five, and it was absolutely devastating for me <clears throat> and and also them. But but um, kids are very resilient as well, you know, and um, over the years I've been to a few counsellors and things like this and researching and, and um, yeah, and I'd have told them that, you know, I'm going to plant trees here. I'm not going to plant any trees over there because one day I'm going to have an indoor arena and, um, you know, and, you know, again, a lot of mates said, oh, as if you're going to do that, mate. And, but I just had a vision. I put it on my board up here in the, in the house. And, um, you know, and at that time I wasn't even in the house. I had to rent my house out and I was living in a four by four room in the shed. And, you know, but that was fine by me because I knew that it was all, everything was helping out, working towards something. And so, yeah, I think, um, when those kids came back, they could see, this is my goals. I'd write them out. This is where I'm headed. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to save up. So I want to get you guys a pony each and things like that. So that when they came here, they could see the vision I'm going and, and they love it, you know, and now, um, they're 12 and 14 and they still love coming. They still come up here and dad, I can't believe you got that indoor arena. You know, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe, you know. Um, that song kind of sounds all right, Dad, you know. So it's I'm really a big believer in sharing your vision, you know, or the way ahead that you see it to your close mates. You know, you don't have to broadcast it, but I just think that um, if you just keep thinking positively, I really believe that, you know, things happen for a reason and you've just got to grab those opportunities and run with it because, you know, I'd rather say, well, I grabbed that opportunity and, yeah, it didn't really work out than, oh, I should have got that opportunity when I had it because look where we could have been, you know. And so, I don't know, at the time it was devastating. I'd cry a lot in the round yard every day. I was working 20 horses up pretty early and I took on more horses just to keep my mind active so I wouldn't be thinking about negative thoughts. And and I think, again, the horses saved me because I'd be galloping or cantering them down the road, doing big miles on them. And um, it's just like going for a run or exercising. So if you keep that exercise up, it's really good for your health and your mind as well. And I think that horse work really helped me out mentally. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's I know you definitely haven't didn't say that in episode one, and I think that's really special. Like you said, there's people out there that message you about this. I would have thought you'd be getting messages about my dog's doing this, my horse is doing this. Hey, I want to release a CD or, you know, can I come be like your support act on tour? And I'm guessing you do get all those sorts of messages, but there'll be someone out listening to that part just there that that's going to connect with. And obviously it already does because of the people that are messaging you. So it's very generous of you to give, like to share that side of things and to if people are messaging you to respond to them, like, yeah. Yeah. We get a lot of everything, horses, dogs, and, you know, and a lot of country people, you know, we sort of, you know, represent Dolly's dream as well. We meet a lot of people on the road that have lost kids to suicide as well, you know, from bullying, but also other, other issues. And so even writing the song Speak Up and then thinking, oh, I might help out a few. And then you go along and at the end of the show, these, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? Like these parents come up to you in tears and they're just thanking you for, you know, so it's, and I'm going, man, I didn't really, 
I wasn't really, yeah, aware of how effective a song could be or what we're doing. And again, we don't have to do it. We could just sit here and just chill out over the wet season. But I just found out that we've influenced or affected um, a lot of people on the road, a lot of families. We go to a lot of towns where, you know, they miss out on a lot of entertainment as well. And so we're going, man, why don't we go there? Why don't we put a smile on these poor fellows' faces and, and, um, so they can forget about life for a while or, you know, they've been affected by floods or suicides or we often go to towns with a lot of suicides in the region that we find out about and, um, off, it's off the grid. We go, heck, we don't care. Let's just go there because people will come four or five hours, sometimes eight hours. They've come to see shows that we've done out there. And I go, bugger it. Let's just do it. And, um, you know, and put on the best show ever for these people because, um, it really connects and they'll really be grateful for it. It's incredible how Catherine Outback experience has evolved from you know, starting as, as you just trying to get a meal ticket after the live export band, just kind of keep yourself afloat. And then it's, you know, it kind of started off, um, and it's primarily, you know, it's an entertainment experience, but this whole other layer to it now, we say like you're writing songs that are touching on, like there's lots of fun songs and some really funny ones, like the frog one. What's, um, what's that one called? Billy don't like no hip hop. Yeah. Everyone go and listen to that one on Spotify. It's great. Based on a true story, I believe. Um, but now you've got songs and you're involved in other, you know, things going on that really, it's a whole other level that you really don't, yeah, like you said, you don't have to be doing, but how special is that? But I think the special part is meeting Belzy and honestly, without her paddling this boat the same way as me, sure, she may roll her eyes (laughs) a lot. But I smile a lot as well. <laughs> she's amazing, honestly. It's like a someone just said, "Hey, here's a little fairy for you," and um, she's an absolute angel and works her heart out. And yeah, if I didn't have her, it wouldn't be a team or a partnership, and there wouldn't be any Catherine Outback. So every day I'm sort of um, pinching myself that she's still there, rolling her eyes because I love it. Well, I think it's probably about time we hear from Belzy then, Annabelle. Which is, I think you're still in my phone as Annabelle McClarty, but you are Annabelle. You've been Annabelle Kurt for quite a while now. If I'm honest, I've never actually legally changed my name <laughs> because I didn't have enough time. <laughs> it wasn't a high priority. We don't have one brand for you, not having enough time. At all. Story of my life. <laughs> I'd also like to take this opportunity just to let everyone know that while you might be married to Tom, you've known me for a lot longer. So I have. I win that one, just saying. <laughs> anyway, go for it. Go. <laughs> anyway, yeah, tell us about how you met Tom and uh, the role I guess your dad played. Good old Lee. Oh, this story is better coming from Tom, I would have thought, but um, sure. Um, so, I, at this point in time, I was living and working in Perth. I grew up an hour south of Perth in Western Australia on a, on a beef cattle farm um, called Blythewood. Um, just on the outskirts of a town called Pinjarra. And um, I was born into a six-generation farming, beef farming family, um, and we have a really amazing history actually, um, which are, which is really cool, really something I'm really proud of. And um, we were some of the first, well, I say we, way before my time. But my family- we'll take the credit. I know, I know. I got, someone's got to fly the flag, right? 
My family were some of the first pastoralists into the Kimberley region in, in the north of Western Australia, uh, but um, back in the 1880s, and, and they took up um, a bunch of pastoral leases, uh, including Jubilee Downs, uh, Liveringa, one of the more famous stations, um, I guess, in the Kimberley, uh, Umaguma, Kalieda, uh, Lilligai, and I'm sure there's a couple more in there that I've forgotten and missed, uh, all around sort of Derby, Fitzroy Crossing and Broome. So they had a really long history up there and a really early history up there. Um, they sold out in the 1980s before I was born, <laughs> but I'm still going to fly that flag uh, and um, have a cont- continued farming to this day uh, still in the Pinjarra region. So, it's, it's pretty special and, and we're up to seven generations now because we've all gone on and had babies and things. But um, my family's still farming there, which is pretty special. And on this particular day back in, what was it, 20, 2015, um, my dad, picked a hitchhiker up off the side of the road and brought him home, which is just mad because my dad is the biggest de-risker in the world. Anyone who knows my dad, Leigh McClarty, will know that he's um he's a great fella. He's great. But he's he's a serious de-risker. If if he wasn't a farmer, he should have been in OHS for sure. Yeah. He would have nailed it. Uh and anyway, I, I've arrived home. I um I was actually taking I was pulling a sickie. Um, the next day, it was a long weekend. Um, it was the main up camp draft, which is a fabulous camp draft in the southwest of Western Australia. And I'd planned to pull a sickie. Um, so I, I headed home this particular Thursday night, an hour south of Perth, rolled on in, um, in my corporate gear, walked into the kitchen. And there at the end of the table is this cowboy in a black hat. And I remember looking at mum and dad going, um, who's he? <laughs> and, and I had, I'd had a really, really, really funny day and and I had a few bottles of wine. I was like, oh, I've just got a debrief on this day that I've had. It it was ridiculous and I won't go into it now. But um it was funny. He had a black hat and my dad had always been onto us about never, never, ever trusting someone in a black hat. So straight away the alarm bells were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why is there a guy in a black hat here? He was also really big on never, you know, be interested in camp drafters. <laughs> so I know, I had always sort of avoided that because, you know, dads are usually right. But um and at that point in time it wasn't it wasn't anything. And um yeah, Tom Tom was heading to this camp draft. We were heading to this camp draft. It it was sort of right for dad to offer him a lift um down the next day. Um so there we go, headed off to this draft sitting across the front seat of the truck, dad, myself in the middle, Tom, and, and a good three, four-hour drive. And we sort of got to know him and, and turned out he was kind of funny. Um, but just just a really, a really nice bloke and, and came down and, and helped us out for the weekend and, and it was sort of a mutual, um, you know, he got a lift and we gave him a swag and um, he helped us out building some yards, filling up waters and things. And, and we just became friends and it was, yeah, it was it was lovely. Um, didn't think anything of it. You know, he was a little bit older than me. Um, Such a grandpa. Jeez. Cradle snatcher, Tom. <laughs> Cradle snatcher. Um, but we just became friends. Honestly, um, we were both, yeah, different different places, I suppose. He was in Catherine. I was in Perth. I was living that sort of corporate life and my life was sort of around going out and dresses and high heels and kicking 
kicking off the night in beautiful bars and usually finishing nightclub. <laughs> and yeah, Tom Tom was up here, but we just um, I don't know, we just got along, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah such a delay. No, <laughs> was, it was. I think the whole thing was that she grew up on the farm, you know, and um, I think, yeah, she's got all the high class, high rolling lingo, but used to. Yeah, she's gone a bit ocker now. <laughs> now that I'm a Territorian. She's a bit rough around the edges. <laughs> yeah, she's still very grounded, very witty, very funny, and um, still very sexy. So, oh, stuff it, Tom. Yeah. Guys, ill. 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 We have children now. We can't talk like that anymore. I'm just in the room in general. Ill. No, continue on. Yeah. Anyway, so um, a year went by. He convinced me to move to the Territory, so I threw in my corporate life, everything I'd sort of worked towards and thought, what the heck, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. The worst thing I could possibly do is always wonder what if, what if I'd, what if I'd gone and given this whole Catherine thing a go. So I'd, I'd never seen Catherine. I'd never been here. I, I had a, um, I, people had painted a colorful image for me of what I would be moving into. Tom had failed to mention he was living in the four by four in the shed. He told me about his house. In fact, there's a couple of houses on the property. He told me about the houses, but he forgot to mention the bit about <laughs> we would be living in the one room in the shed that would double as our office by day. But um minor details. It's um <laughs> it's a faint memory. So many years later, it is a very faint memory. But um yeah, slowly we we moved up in the world. We we after 6 months we moved into the granny flat and I had to really push that one with him. <laughs> yeah, I was still content in the little room in the shed, but yeah. she wanted to move up. And then um, a few years later we moved into the big house. So not that it's about that at all. And to be honest, it's we're so flat thing. out that we don't know. <laughs> when I say big house, I compared to the house. Compared to, yeah, <laughs> compared to the four by four. Yeah. <laughs> Made a room in the shed that doubled by the doubled as the office by day. But no, um yeah, so it was it was pretty it was a pretty big adventure and, and I moved up here. Um we were pretty fortunate. A big part in that is that we uh won a major contract with the Gan train. Um and if, if that hadn't happened I Honestly, it would have been a whole different ball game. Um, I don't think I would have been able to justify moving up and working with Catherine Outback Experience at the time, but I knew when we won that contract that Tom couldn't do it on his own. And, um, I guess that was almost my license to, to go, righto, let's, let's give this a go. And, um, funnily enough, I actually stayed working for the company I was working for in Perth, um, sort of externally, which was a big thing for that day. It's no longer now that COVID's happened. But, um, and they would ring me every week for, I think they rang me for about 10 weeks being like, so, um, can you take on any work? I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. We're just so busy. We've got so much on. Try me next week. Try me the week after. And they gave up after a while. And I think I was crossed off the books, <laughs> but <laughs> they were an amazing company to work for. That was so cool. But, um, yeah, that was 2016. And from there, um, we've just, was it that long ago? Uh, can you, I, I know. And it's funny. Chatting, like listening to Tom chat about this story before, I'm like, gee, weeds, we've covered some ground since then. That it really is just, um, it's like an old memory almost. And, um, the business has just grown and grown and grown. And, and every year I sort of think, 
well, we'll get these processes in place and we'll get this sorted out and next year will be a bit easier. And next minute it's <laughs> the, what is today, the 3rd of October? Um, in 2022, I think. I know. I'm pretty sure we just recorded the first episode like a month ago. Calm down. Like no. what's happened? And weren't you just saying before you've still got your Perth – did you have some Perth clothes that are not packed, unpacked yet? Oh, can we not talk about that, please? So since 2016 <laughs> – because, I mean, the, the move worked out well for everyone, including me, because you sold half your Perth wardrobe on Facebook and I got this really nice Zimmerman dress that I still wear to this that day. That beautiful red dress. The problem is the other half that I didn't sell came – with me and I still haven't unpacked it. I Honestly, still, I, still I think you should let me go through it and I'll just buy whatever fits me. You can have it. Yeah, Gav. You can just have it. 20% off. <laughs> Honestly, I need that discount because knowing what is Annabelle's, when I Googled like Zimmerman and realised, I was like, holy shit, what did I get this dress for? Pretty, yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm happy with that, guys. Um, yeah, hit up Annabelle on Instagram if you want a good dress. I still haven't unpacked my Perth wardrobe. <laughs> anyway, I think that's a bit off track. <laughs> that's you could buy six a couple years. of horses with that. Honestly, you could. Uh, you you could get your podcast gear, Tom. Oh yeah, that'd that'd pay for a way flasher setup. Um, so okay, so we're we're at the point where you're at Catherine Outback Experience, and you guys are kicking along. Um, let's. I guess we we covered a bit of that in the first episode, but. There's been since since then we've had babies, we've had COVID, we've had awards, we've had national awards, not just Tom. I mean Tom wins lots of awards for his singing, but you guys as the as the business have won lots of awards as well. So I guess we last spoke in twenty nineteen, mid twenty nineteen. You were pregnant with Harry. Oh, you've got a good memory. I was trying to work out if we were even married at that point. But, yes, I was. Well, that's right. I don't know if you are married, but we you were, were pregnant. I was. We were sitting. I was very pregnant because we were sitting on the floor quite awkwardly. I remember this now. Oh, honestly, you weren't pregnant then for the very first episode. Oh, that was the no. second episode. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I don't – yeah, I can't. No, I was thinking of the first and I just – No, that was so, the second one. You're right. When did you have the baby? So, we – Oh, no, he was even, born at the end of 2019. We got married on the 6th of the 7th, 2018. I always remember this because it's 6, 7, 8. Don't ask me what year it is until I can work out that it's 6, 7, 8. <laughs> 6th of the 7th, 2018. And then Harry was born November 2019. Yep. Yeah, so you would have been pregnant when we recorded the very first yes. episode ever in June 2019. Oh, but maybe go. we recorded the second episode. Maybe he was I already can't born. Remember. Who knows? Honestly, time. We're old. Um, Things have happened since, since. I know. So, yep. So we've had a baby since that. So since that very first episode, we had a baby. Had two. Yes, two. Uh, we've gone on two. We won awards. Yeah, fill me in. The two of you. You go, Bells. So, yep. Harry was born in 2019, and we have little Lottie, the wild child. She was. She's just turned one. Um, I've got to ask, where does the name Lottie come from? Because I. Until yesterday, I thought it was like a nickname for Charlotte, like Charlotte, Charlotte. It is. It is. Um, it is a nickname for Charlotte. But we both of us just really liked it. Um, where'd you find it from? It also feels very old school in a way, like like a Victorian era. I, I suppose like it would be like classy with my name, Tom's name. We're, I suppose we've grown up sort of with that 
older style, I think. Yeah. Perhaps influence, but um, I don't know. We just both really liked it. I hope Where you liked you it. Find did you it like from it? Um, <laughs> ah. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. He's life. like, I've been, I've been living a lie every day for the last year. Um, no, one day, cool. Steph, um, you'll understand how hard it is to name children. It doesn't come that easy. Oh, I just told my person, I was like, I let you name the puppy so that I get to name the first child. <laughs> Well, there was he, strategy he, there. He won. He won. I can tell you that much. Um, no, it was just yeah. It was just a name that we both really, really loved, and and I I um I hope I didn't make a mistake in not calling her Charlotte. But I figured we're going to call her Lottie anyway, so why not just call her Lottie? Much like Harry, he's just Harry. Um, so yeah, that's we both just agreed that I, got, I don't know. We both liked it, and I don't know. Ask us in twenty years' time. <laughs> so, um, how old was Harry when you went on tour? Yeah, so he was he was three weeks old when we hit the road. And, um, uh, can you just give us a breakdown of like what the tour involves, like how long you're away for, how many k's you would have travelled, how many shows, roughly? Yep. So that that year, I think we were on the road for four and a half months. Um, couldn't tell you probably fifty shows on the road that year. We I remember. We did – no, we must have come up – I can't even remember how we got home, but we would have gone Queensland, New South, Victoria, and then – I don't remember how we got home that year. We must have come back up through New, um, through South Australia. We yeah, we came – flew to the Territory for awards or something? For oh, the Tourism Awards? I can't even remember. With Little Harry. Because didn't we go no, every state No, you went to the awards. I didn't because he was a week old. Oh. Yeah. But we, yeah, that year we, he, by the time he was like five months old, he'd been to every state in Australia except for Tasmania. Um, that's right. We went to, no, you're right. You're talking about the Australian Tourism Awards went oh, to the ACT. Yeah, right. Um, and then, yeah, in that period was when COVID started to unravel. Um, and we were on the road and I remember, I remember we were heading to Molong, this gorgeous, gorgeous town in, New South Wales, where my sister actually lives now. Would you believe it? And um, we were heading there, and I remember my brother-in-law being on the phone and telling me about this crazy thing going on in China, and we're all laughing about it, going, oh, the Chinese, that's just hilarious. That's never going to happen. And uh, fast forward a few months, and sure enough, we were all in this thing called lockdowns that we never, ever thought would happen here. Where were you when the first lockdown hit you? We um we got back to the territory and f- flew straight down to Western Australia to see my folks, and it was all part of the plan. And um we were there for about six days, and to see Tills and Charlie as well. Um, and we got back into the territory within a day, and the borders shut. That's lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd been, I think the day we landed in Western Australia, we were watching the news every day and just going, what does this mean for us? What is this going to mean for tourism? Our tourism season in the Territory is uh, April to October. Um, and I remember the lockdowns happened on the 22nd of March. So we, we'd just done six months um, with no tourism income. Fortunately, we hit the road over our low season and, and tour the Outback show. So that sort of replenished so much of the business. But um, 
for the tourism industry in the territory, it was, and, and Northern Australia, really, it was really, really tough. Uh, and it had already been a tough year, um, nationally with, we'd had the bushfires. I know there'd been floods. Um, and then we were just gearing up in March is usually when you spend a fair bit of money getting ready for the new tourist season. Um, and then it was all taken away. Um, and as, it's interesting now we're on the other side of it. And again, it feels like a bit of a faint memory. Um, but when you, you were in it, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty scary. Is it just me or is it really weird how COVID just kind of dropped off the face of the earth though? Like, I feel like we were still getting like daily news bulletins about it and like our premier and WO is putting up like daily stats on Facebook. And then I feel like at some point this year, like there wasn't like an official like black and white, like it's finished, but it's just kind of petered out. But it's still gone going. Like my brother got COVID last week and I was like, oh, like, there you go. Like it's Is still- that a thing? I forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, like how, how do you- well, I suppose it's all part of the process. How, um, did, how did you know for you when it was over for the business? It's a good question. I I um I don't think it is all over for us necessarily. It's um we've definitely relaxed more. It's still I think for us now our biggest concerns around flooding. Um not in here in Catherine, but when we hit the road touring. Um it's it's interesting. It, it's funny, you're right, COVID's no longer a, a weekly discussion topic at all. Um it's it it was, I guess, even this year when we came back. Funnily enough, touch wood, I, do I dare say it? Tom and I haven't had it yet. Neither have I. Yes, let's have a club. But can we touch some wood or something? Because I don't have anything in, in declaring this, it's, it's going to be our undoing. Do these floorboards count? Um, Are they real? No, no they're, they're not. They're floating? <laughs> I wish. Let's claim it. They look like wood. Um, <laughs> we haven't had it yet, but f- I guess um, in the business that we run and um, which is, I don't even think we've talked about it in this, in this podcast yet, but it's, it's an outback show. Oh, yeah. Um, and My bad. for six months of the year, it's an outback show, uh, where tourists come to and visit us in Catherine. And then for the other six months, we, we hit the road and take the music and the outback show to the rest of Australia. And, um, so we've got tourism and, and music and they were like the two big industries that were really, crippled by uh, national lockdowns and and even here in Catherine it was local lockdowns and I know Western Australia was similar in fact nationally it was and um, for those early days um, no one was allowed really in well they, they put a border on us around about 200 kilometers which in Sydney or Melbourne that's that's huge and, and even Perth, but in Catherine, you don't even get to the next town within yeah. 200 kilometers. Yeah. Um, so it was really, we had to change everything. Um, we had to go from a very domestic market, um, prior to COVID. We didn't, we, we really relied majority on interstate travelers to come to us, um, to come and see our show. And we didn't have a, a big following locally. And it's just that classic thing. Like as a local, you don't really do what's in your own backyard, but you'll go and travel to, 10 hours away and you'll do everything possible in that town. Um, and that, and that's just what it is. And, and we, that's just what it is. Um, but we had to then change everything we did to target a very, very, very local Catherine market within about 30 kilometers of our home. Um, and then to this day, we're so grateful for the way that, um, 
our local community embraced our business and embraced what we were doing and, and really, I guess, helped us get through what was a, was a really, really tough time. Um, not only for our business, obviously, but for everyone. And, and I remember a lot of people coming out to us to go horse riding from a mental health perspective. And they were just like, we just need to get out. We're climbing the walls. We just, and at that point in time, we were allowed to do one on one rides as long as we could keep a meter away on another horse. And we made sure we ticked all the boxes and, um, we, we just had this huge amount of demand from people just being like, oh my goodness, I, I just need to get out of the house. I just need to do something that's, that's good for the soul and good for the head. And, and that's where the horse riding really took off, um, for us during that period of time. It was super intensive. Um, it was, I think I went back and looked at our stats and realized that I think during that period, we worked every single day with people, um, in the year that we'd planned to actually take a bit of a back seat now that we were new parents um, and both of us, it was, it was madness, wasn't it? But you just, it's, it's like I've said a few times already, it's a faint memory now and you just do it. You do what you have to do to get to the next point or to get, to get through it. And for us, um, it wasn't about making money when all of that happened. It was actually for us, it was about making sure we could feed our animals, put food on the table and keep our staff employed because we had this whole team of staff that had come with us from interstate that all of a sudden couldn't get home to their family. And we were like, I remember sitting there and just having to tell my staff being like, I'm really sorry that I have to break promises to you, but I promise I can promise you that whatever happens, um, you will have a roof over your head and we'll make sure you're fed whatever happens, but we don't know what's going to happen. And we don't know what next week looks like. We don't know what two months look like. Um, and it was, it was really tough, but that story is like everyone's story. We weren't alone in it. Um, and that's something we had to just keep reminding ourselves that it, and, and it was, <laughs> yeah, it just, um, it was, yeah, tough little time. What, um, I can't quite believe is that for you, Tom, this is the second time something's happened where like more or less overnight your income's been taken away from you and you've been forced to like, I mean, at least this time you had Annabelle, you know, and, and you were like to pivot, like, because that's the second life export ban and then COVID like twice. I don't know. Are you feeling a little cursed? <laughs> don't know. I think there's going to be a few more too down the track. Don't worry. But, um, yeah, I think, and that's what a lot of people I found have. A lot of mates, a lot of um, people all over the country have had to try to think outside the box and, um, you know, try to diversify and keep their heads above water, you know. There's um, a lot of gone under and, um, you know, I've even spoken to a bloke yesterday and uh, how he was in the tourist, tourism industry in WA and, um, yeah, he said he suffered greatly, you know, so he's still feeling those effects. But I just think, yeah, you've just got to, um, yeah, still got to be try to be smart about it and plunge into anything, but you've got to really try to, um, that's it, keep having a crack and keep on going. What, how, I guess, how does this affect you guys going forward with, I guess, a business and a life plan like, the two 
well, two or three. So you've got Tom's like music career. You've got Catherine Outback experience as a tourism operation. And then there's still some sort of horse training as well. All three of those things have shown how vulnerable they can be to outside influences. Like, I guess, how does that affect you going forward thinking like, how are we going to survive whatever happens next? Do you need to have like another side hustle or? I hope not. Um, yeah, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He has been talking about that for a while, oh, but not. Bullshit. I not, just gave him the idea and I want. Not about himself not, though. Not, not about yeah, himself. Not about me. Um, he's far too humble. Wouldn't do That's it. all right. But, um, I'll write that book. Yeah, you can have that book. It's funny. We used to always say like, how could we go wrong? We had. You know, we had a tourism business and if tourism fell over, we had the touring business. So, and then never, never in our lives did we think that both would be brought to a grinding halt at once. And I think it just went to show that it's really important never to put everything into one basket and all your eggs into one basket. Um, and that's, I guess we, we talked sort of about the sad side of COVID and how tough it was. But for us as a business, it was it was also a bit of an adventure. So we we sort of just went effort, <laughs> literally, and just went, let's do everything we always had wanted to do. Let's just do it. Let's just see what happens. Let's just road test it. Let's just have a bit of fun. Never have we been in such an um, opportunistic position to just just try it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. And what we did. did you try? So uh, I think we mentioned it before. Like we, we tried the horse riding, um, experiences and the lessons we did the, we bought on the farm therapy stuff, which is something that our community had been asking for for years and years. Um, we, we road tested glamping. We road tested luxury swag experiences. It, it was, it was so, such a cool opportunity for our team to, to get a grasp on what's involved and how much work was involved and, and what it means. And, um, we learned so much from, from that. Um, I'm trying to think what else did we do? We, we, we road tested these long table dinners, which have now become, um, a permanent fixture with our tour groups that come through. Um, we, 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 we had plans of getting into the virtual space, but we just created too much work for ourselves that we never quite got there. But it's mm. still, it was really cool. It gave us a lot of confidence to, to just give things a go. And, and so often you hear of people saying, Oh, you know, I'd love to do this or I'm just waiting to get my ducks in a line. And it's, it's not worth waiting. Just do it. Just give it a go because your ducks are never going to be in a line. <laughs> We know that. <laughs> um, we've learned that. And, and you talk, I guess the question that you, you posed to Tom before about hitting two major, almost catastrophic business events, um, or crippling events, it, we don't really dwell on it. Um, dare we say it? We've, we've come out the other side so much stronger. Um, and, to a degree, we're almost lucky that those things have happened because it's given us a lot of confidence to just go, let's just do it. Let's just give it all we've got. Let's not worry about um, things going wrong because it's actually better that it goes wrong than we don't do it at all. Um, and it's it's almost been, I guess, we, we are very positive people. We're very optimistic people. Um, and that's, I guess, geared us up even more for the future. 
I'm not going to lie, the last couple of years are a complete blur and I don't know what happened in what year, but you guys did win a National Tourism Award. When was that? And tell us about the award. It was like during or after COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. I um, I sort of claim it to be a bit of a Stephen Bradbury moment. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if it was 2020, 2021, 2022. So it, 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 it was 2022. Okay, um, so it was this year. Which, which – which was yeah, from was pretty yeah. much the entire period of COVID. They, yeah. they didn't run the tourism awards for a year there. And, um, yeah. You, you could have told me that it happened in 2020 and I'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So we are, um, we did, we won best tourist attraction in Australia, um, which was a huge shock to us. We didn't think we had a chance in, in the world of winning that. We were up against some big tourist operations, um, the Bundy rum distillery and um the the arbitorium in canberra and oh, just some amazing amazing experiences and, and we really didn't think we had a hope in hell and at that point in time we were touring in western australia and as you would know western australia was still pretty locked up um so the idea of us going to the Gold Coast or Sunny Coast, I think it was, for the awards was just off the cards. We had 10 horses, 10 dogs, two babies on the road in Western Australia. The chance of not getting back was was far greater risk than. So we, um at, at that point in time, we were actually in Badgingara and we were doing a show in Badgie. North um, of Perth. About three hours north of Perth, Yeah, two say? probably, yeah. Two, two yeah. yeah. Um, tiny little awesome country town. Um, one that I don't, I don't know. If, I think they said maybe 10, 15 years ago was the last time they had a live music event there. Um, such a cool community, such a cool community. And we're there. Um, and, and we actually sent Tom's brothers to the awards, um, because they're in tourism now too over in, in Cumbia with the Bunya Mountains. And I'm like, well, this is kind of cool. Why don't you guys go? And, and we were having this gorgeous night in, um, in Badgie, Bajangara and, Sure enough, we were announced as the winners of the best attraction in Australia. So that night in Badgie turned out to be a, a pretty big and significant night for that gorgeous community. Yeah, that was cool because I was singing and on stage with the crew and then Annabelle just comes up mid-song just shouting at me. I'm going, what? What's going on? Is there a fight or something? No, no, we just won. I said, won what, mate? It's one tourist attraction. I said, oh, my God. So, yeah, the whole of both people in the crowd went off. <laughs> the whole three? No, joking. No, no. <laughs> that, was, that was an awesome community that no, night. That was an awesome community, yeah. Um, yeah. So it was uh, pretty specky, wasn't it? We couldn't believe it. So Badgingara. Sorry, you go. I was going to say Badgingara will forever go down in history. Yeah. And my two brothers, I said, because we shouted them tickets, so they were getting free beer. And then I, they asked me if um, they had to do a speech. I said, no, don't worry about it, mate, because um, we've got Buckleys of women, so just hook into the beer, you'll be fine. And then <laughs> we got called out and the brother that was supposed to go up for the speech had too many beers. And so <laughs> the other one had to get relegated up there and um, so he wasn't slurring so much, but um, he did the speech. and He no, did a great good, job. Did a good job. He did an awesome job. That is brilliant. It's quite a feather to have in your cap. What's what's next for Catherine Outback Experience now that you guys, I mean, you kind of already hit the big time, but just keep going from strength to strength. Well, 
it's probably more for Tommy, but we are, one would have thought maybe having a little break, but no. Yeah, we need to have a, a discussion um, I was about. I keen to go on a honeymoon. We like, haven't had any honeymoon You know, honeymoon yet. would have been good. I was keen to do that, holiday. but um, apparently she just wants to keep working. Um, so there is a new single out soon. There's a new album out soon in the coming weeks. I'm going to drop this tomorrow, so it's okay. Okay, so we can talk When dates. does this go? Tomorrow. Does it really? Yeah, if that's okay. Yeah. So I've never done one in such short time, but, seven, you know, really? give seven, the people something Here we live. go. 7th of October 2022 is the next single, which is, is actually weekend? a bit of our story. A Friday. It's a Friday, correct. Ooh. It's when music drops. Is that this Friday? FYI. Yeah. Is uh, that- oh, <laughs> no. oh, we haven't yeah, told is. anyone Is yet. it this Friday? Yeah. Oh, see how far behind we are? <laughs> I didn't realize it was this Friday. Um, yep. It's so uh, so um, this Friday, guys, we have uh, Tomkin has a new single dropping called Heaven on Earth. What's Check it, it about? Out. Chocolate. Spe- do the cell. It really should be coming from you. No, you go. So apparently it's our story, a bit of our story. It sounds like. If I hear the words heaven on earth, I feel like you're talking about the first time you sat down and recorded a podcast with me. Are you sure it's not about our <laughs> was story? It, was it the second it time and the third possible. time as well? <laughs> yeah, that too. Heaven on earth, yeah. Anyway, um, check it out. It's a cracker. Uh, but new album out on the 21st of October, which also happens to be a Friday, Steph, just FYI. <laughs> And yeah. then we are we are doing our album launch. I'm, I'm, I'm talking as if it's mine because I'm so <laughs> no, you invested. guys are a team. Please. We are a team. Okay. So big album launch in Catherine, Northern Territory, on the 21st of October, 2022. Just in case you listen to this in 2023 or four or five, um, followed by Darwin the following night, and then pew, hitting the road straight Charter. on the Six road months. after that. Charter Six stands. months on the road. Oh, we're going East Coast this time. Charters, Townsville, Ingham, Cairns, Greenvale, Bowen. And then Armadale, Tamworth, Country Music. So Festival. down down to New South, you hit it all the way to Victoria? Yeah, we're going Tasmania. Darbo. No. Boom. All the way to Bansdale. Just some music in Tassie. At this wow. point in time. Two weeks over Unless there. That's someone. our little honeymoon. We get to do I don't think it's a honeymoon. It six count. gigs. Doesn't count. Over there, just concerts. No, I wouldn't be accepting that as a honeymoon. That's a bit of a honeymoon. Two weeks with two children, a three and under. I would be going back to Perth and dropping them with mum and dad and then getting on a plane that for two weeks. That is a great idea. You're an ideas person. You I am. That. I like what your you, parents would I love like that. I like what you're putting down here. They would, actually. Yeah. Done. Guys, we've we'll heard it that. on the podcast. It's basically locked in stone. Um, and then after Tasmania, back up through South Australia and home to Catherine in mid to late April-ish. So I probably won't see you after tonight until April. Cool. Unless you come to our launch. I know. Well, we, we realised this the other day I'm in Darwin on both those nights. Oh, you come That's to the right. second one. She's going but to the symphony. I got tickets to the symphony orchestra. She really? is doing the symphony. Over I think you should come up and sing on stage with the Darwin Symphony Orchestra. I saw them a few weeks ago. They we were really good. You've already seen them. I know. So why Are you going back again? Yeah. Over Tom Curtin. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, Tom see. didn't even remember me, so whatever. What was it that's like at the beginning you didn't remember? Oh, you didn't even remember last time I came on what tour. What shows were you at? Um, Utica. Yeah. 
And there was one in the Ravensor. place where, yeah, where they, is that where the uranium Esperance. mine was going to be? Or lithium mine. And when? we stayed at some person's house. Yeah. And they're talking Jeffro. about mining lithium. Jeffro. This is like, yeah. how many years five, ago is this? Five years ago. Oh, was only it? five years no, ago? No, it'd be 2019, I reckon. No. No, because no, we did East Coast in 2019. Yeah, we've done two tours this was in WA. 2017. 18. Another one East Coast. No, I was overseas in 2017. The summer of 2017, 18? Yeah. That's when we did that tour. No, because I hadn't met. Oh, I don't know. You're lying. <laughs> I, I only got back. Oh, I got back at Christmas time, maybe. We haven't done many shows yeah, since then. It was in the new year. Yeah, it was. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I know my dates. She's a freak with dates. Yeah. Except I remember because one of the horses anybody. got sick for a minute. Correct. That's the only reason I remember it. Oh, and I yeah. had to carry those 44 gallon drums that the dogs jump up on down the world's steepest Is horse that a ramp. New gate? Yes. I do remember no shooting a horse there for yeah. colic. Yeah. But I just remember being terrified to carry the drums out of the horse truck down to the ground because it's it was like a steep cliff, like world's steepest ramp. ramp. And I'm holding this big forty four gallon drum just waiting to die. I didn't realize. And then we had to bring there, then we had to bring so portable panels. Wants down. To sponsor a um a less better, steep ramp. Yeah. Or a new or, truck. Horse truck. Yeah. Get on board. If anybody's listening and they're considering going on tour with Tom, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't remember Is you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. We love our stuff. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I need to. Okay. I remember the horse. I didn't remember you. I don't have the name, which is really bad. But so my mum's a school teacher in Perth and there's a girl that works with her that is Tom Curtin obsessed. My mum always tells me about it. I don't know her name, but maybe you could just do a generic shout out to the girl who works at the school with my mum. <laughs> like my mum's always like, have you spoken to Tom? And then whatever. This, yeah. You've got a fan so down there. what's your mum's name? Rochelle. Rochelle. Hi, Rochelle. This is a big shout out to the girl that works for you. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's your tennis partner. No, they're school teachers. Oh, the school teachers. Okay. So the school teachers. A big shout out to Rochelle's Tom Curtin fan. Yeah. Legend. I'll I'll find a name. and Yeah, yeah. we'll find a name later. But you know who we're talking to. Yeah, she does, hopefully. Have a good one out there. Yeah. Oh, we just need to get you on tour as the Luke Combs support or something. Did we mention that you could pre-order the album? Since we were talking Can you still get CDs? Is that a thing? Yeah, um, yeah, CDs are really cool, guys. Really cool. Vintage. They'll be arriving. Hey, low rise jeans are coming back into fashion. Let's all oh, be. Oh, I heard. Some, some and I nearly things, cried. Some things should not come back into fashion. But, Why are they but doing CDs, that to us? yes, yeah. CDs are okay, but low rise jeans, please, please no. Yeah, I, I heard this, and I really hope it was a bad, a bad. I've got a great TikTok to show you about that. So, did they not learn anything from the early two thousands? No. Muffin tops. Two words. Heart out. Paris Hilton. She and Nikki. Yeah. So um, we'll finish on a happier note than low-rise jeans because we're all going to be scarred after that now. So we're going on tour down the East Coast. you got some more – does that mean will you be in Tamworth around the awards times then? Correct. Country that- Music Festival. Yeah. Cool. Are you playing at the Country Music Festival? Do we know? Have they, have they yes. lined up yet? Yeah, we've got a couple of gigs down there. Um, we're doing just out of Tamworth. Mm-hmm. We're doing a, cause we used to do it at the, um, Paceway undercover arena at the old showgrounds, but they're pulling that big shed down. So we've been searching and searching. So we're just going to be about 15 minutes out of Tamworth at undercover arena. 
on a mate's place. So, yeah, we'll go there and um, it'll be all, if you go to my website, tomcurtain.com.au, you'll be able to see all the gigs, the places, the venues, the times, and check that out. Should be a lot of fun, really. So for, I mean, this is a bit of a different podcast than some of the other ones I do, but I do usually always finish with the same question, which I haven't given you guys a heads up about, but, you know, YOLO. Um, I usually ask, looking back at your story so far, what would you say is the major takeaway lesson? And I feel like that is important for me to ask in this episode because you've spoken about so many experiences where you have learnt things and, 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 and like the name of your last album, We're Still Here, like, Guys are still here, which is ironically you wrote that before COVID. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> you wrote an album before COVID called "We're Still Here." COVID has been and gone, and you're still here. So let's just say some COVID, good, um, COVID did good things for that album. That is some good. What do they call it? Forecasting, or um, when you put things out in the universe, like a meant, um, you know, when you, affirmations. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, so what's the what's the lesson? Look at us. We're all. It's also late. We're also tired. I can't speak straight. What's the lesson, Belzy? I knew you were going to do that. Okay, <laughs> I no, no, first. don't worry. One each. <laughs> you go. Um, for us, for us, it's been just, just give it a crack. Just, just have, just have a go. Um, it doesn't matter if it doesn't work out. At least you gave it a go. Um, at least that's something you can cross off the list if it didn't work out. Or on the flip side, if it did work out, that's pretty cool. Yours, Tommy. I think. Yeah, I, I do like that. And also, um, I think you've got to look back, like you say, and just be grateful, feel the gratitude because of how far like, we've come, you know, singing to one or two people down there. We sing to four or five now. So it's, um, <laughs> we've, we've, look, that's like a 200% no, but, increase. Right? But, you know, it has honestly, and a lot of people, like these days, a lot of keyboard warriors out there. There's a lot of people that will try to take you down. A lot of negativity out there in this world. And, you know, I just, you know, we've copped a bit over the years just for different things. And, um, and a lot of people do these days. And I just think, yeah, you've just got to keep, keep on the same track that you've, uh, keep your vision there, keep looking up at that sign that, um, you know, that you can see is your goal because you'll get a lot of people that will try to take you off that track and, um, you know, you got to really follow your gut and keep looking at your vision, keep working and striving at it, have short and long-term goals and just be grateful of, um, you know, the bad things that's happened in your life, the negative stuff, but also what you've learned out of that to take on board to keep forging ahead because it will all add to your character and um, your self-esteem and, yeah, the journey will be so much more worthwhile. And I think on that one, Tom, surround yourself with good people. Yeah. Great people. We we are so lucky. And that's, I, I guess, um, now that the opportunities have arisen, we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for some of the amazing people around us. And they know who they are. I mean, there's only uh, one of them in the room right now, but yeah. Yeah, Tom, you... <laughs> 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 I miss out. But um and it's not necessarily it's not wealthy people or anything like that. It's, it's just great people. It's just people that um <clears throat> want to spend time with you, want to check in with you. We got a lot of mates that um and we do the same, check in, ring people, 
just check in with people and um, see how they're going, but just want to hang out and have fun. and People who build you up. Yeah. People who you. want to hang around those people and the people that you'll find out, the people that want to bring you down or rubbish you in front of their friends and things like that, just cut them, you know. It's like uh, if you look at a mob of horses and there'll be a horse in there that's a dominant horse, it's just real snake, he keeps trying to bite the other horses and kick and chase. If you take that mob one out of the mob, the whole – Everyone's happy. Yeah, the mob settles down. So same, I believe, with people. So, um, you know, just look out for each other, check in with your mates and, um, yeah, just be grateful for what you've already gotten, what you've already achieved.